Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week. And we've got something a little different this week. Now, you all know that I talk about coercive control and cults and thought reform and brainwashing and all these like salacious, horrible, awful things that happen to people. And I try to bring a little bit more than, you know, let's just talk about all the dirt and let's just talk about all the nonsense and details. And try to break down, you know, where is this stuff coming from? Why is it that we have a society that's structured in in such a way that we have Scientology, we have the Moonies, we have the JWs, we have Nexium, we have, you know, Enron, we have these like ridiculous cults that rise up and take over people's minds and, and drive people to do some pretty silly things. Well, one of the reasons that that is manifest, I guess you could say, or, or, or spread around in the United States more maybe than it is in other countries, uh, at least visibly it appears to be that way, is because we have freedom of religion. We have the, uh, the, the right to think whatever you want, believe whatever you want. And, and, and I'm actually okay with that. And I think most people are because thought control and, and thought reform and brainwashing and stuff is generally pretty unpleasant. And, you know, and when you want to control a population or get people under control, you have to kind of get into their heads and you have to drive their behavior by driving their belief. And if you can convince people that a group of people, another group of people, for example, are really bad because they don't believe the same things you believe, you can get conflict going. And uh, from conflict comes violence, and from violence comes all kinds of other unpleasantness. And this is one of the, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of summarizing a lot in a little bit here to kind of intro the show, but we're going to talk about this because I've asked guest uh, here, Andrew Seidel, <laughs> Seidel, sorry, onto the show. Welcome, Andrew, to my show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Yes, I'm very happy to have you here. And and where I'm going with all this intro is um, is the separation of church and state, uh, because that's a fundamental sort of underlying thing that makes this country work, despite the fact that we are a country of such disparate and varied beliefs and ideas. We got millions of people in this country, hundreds of millions, and that's a lot of people. And that scale matters, especially when you're talking about geographical regions where belief tends to focus one way in one area and it's different in another area. And yet we all kind of have to figure out how to get along, how to compromise, how to work this stuff out anyway. And sometimes certain belief sets, which is what I focus on, drive people in such a way that they become very intolerant, very uncompassionate, and very, very extreme in their views that my belief is the right way, everybody else has it wrong, and we actually need to run the country according Mm -hmm. to my belief set. And that is something that we see very prominently these days in a group that we're calling or identifying as Christian nationals. Mm -hmm. Christian nationalism. This is a thing. So Andrew, I've invited onto my show. Now, let me give you a little intro and then we can get to this because you've just written a book about this called American Crusade, How the Supreme Court is Weaponizing Religious Freedom. And this follows on the heels of another book you wrote, you wrote which we talked about years ago about, you know, the name of God and, and uh, um, in God we trust, I should say. Uh, where this whole concept of us being a religious Christian nation and all of that, you, you challenged even those ideas. So you're an author and you're an attorney and you've defended the First Amendment. And you're a constitutional lawyer and you used to work for or with the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And now you're over as the vice president recently of Americans United? Yes, Americans United for Separation of Church and State is my new home and organization. Um, doing same kind of work. Uh, we are a nonpartisan, not-for-profit educational and advocacy org. AU works to bring people of all religions and of none together to protect both religious freedom and 
as our name would say, the separation of church and state. And so AU fights in the courts and the legislatures and the public square for freedom without favor and equality without exception. And for more than 75 years, it's been the preeminent organization working to ensure church state separation remains that shield that protects religious freedom for all of us. And really, we can only do that as Americans united. And that's why I'm proud to be part of an organization that embodies that value in its very name. Yeah, beautiful. That's uh, and I and you are definitely in uh, you know, you have a sympathetic ear right now. Uh, you were in, you were in a friendly place, right? I am not going to challenge you on these points. I agree with you, um, because regardless of the belief set, and there are multiple varied belief sets out there, even within denominations and and structures, yep. there's all kinds of var- you know variety of ideas, and that's the whole point. Is we're, we can't all be on the same page when it comes to our supernatural or religious philosophies and ideas. So we've got to learn to get along and we've got to learn to live in a country with common laws and principles and ideas and foundational beliefs, you could say, uh, despite these differences in our religious philosophies. And some people seem to be more on board with that idea than others. Um, so first off, let's just say, let, let's, let's present your position as to why is this important? Why, why not a single religion or a single majority view that takes control of this? Because certainly that's what the Christian nationals would like is, you know, hey, our, our group has the right path and the right belief and we're with God. So we should be the ones in charge. Yeah, I mean, Christian nationalists are definitely seeking to enshrine their power and privilege and religion into our law, to graft it onto the constitution, really onto the first amendment, which is what the new book, American Crusade, how the Supreme Court is weaponizing religious freedom is about. They're they are trying to turn religious freedom as it's written in the constitution into a weapon of Christian supremacy. And I mean, this, this is what they're, they're aiming for. Um, and one of their primary targets is the separation of church and state. And, and that is because that separation levels the playing field and it makes everybody equal. It is actually one of the primary drivers of equality in our country and in our constitution. And I think a lot of people fail to understand that R- really the separation of church and state is what allows Americans to come together as equals and to build a stronger democracy, right? Historically, we know that religion is one of the most divisive forces in human history. And this is actually one of the reasons that the framers sought to keep it out of our government, which is especially important when you're talking about a democracy where people have to negotiate and give and compromise to be able to reach a shared governing vision, right? Because we're all from these, these disparate groups. Uh, So, I mean, really, this is arguably one of the most important and bedrock founding principles of our nation. And we are seeing a deliberate assault waged against this founding principle by Christian nationalists. And that's, of course, why I am very concerned about it, because these are people who are not just sitting on a street corner passing out personality tests Mm -hmm. and bringing in a few rubes and getting some money from them. And I, you know, I use the word rubes a little, you know, derogatorily or whatever. These are people. But this is not Scientology. This is a much, much bigger problem than that. And it's roots and it's sort of the the depths of the influence and power that's involved here goes all the way up to, you know, the top of our government, our seat of government in D.C. We have um, this manifested in lots of different ways that I find troubling from a national prayer breakfast that somehow has government sanction and support and is is this thing that happens every year to um, the whole idea uh, that seems to be and you tell me, it seems to be fairly prevalent in the South, although maybe other areas too, that that Christianity is is actually the basis of our government. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a that idea 
not just that America was founded as a Christian nation, but that our government and our constitution were based on Judeo-Christian principles, whatever that phrase might mean. That is one of the founding ideological beliefs for Christian nationalists. I mean, that's actually where the name comes from, Christian nation, right? I mean, it's not just that they're nationalists who are Christian. It's actually more than that, right? So that that is absolutely fundamental to their identity. Uh, And one of the things they are trying to do is to rewrite our history and rewrite our constitution accordingly. They're trying to flip basic legal principles on its head, including, you know, religious freedom, like religious freedom has long been this shield, right? It's this, this hallowed protection against government overreach. It's the minority's protection against the tyranny of the majority. And it's something that we possess equally. Uh, You know, I like to say that it's embodied in the words that are etched on the front of the Supreme court, equal justice under law. And that religious freedom has been supported by a strong separation of church and state but not really anymore. And that's because there is this well-funded, powerful network of Christian nationalist organizations and judges. This, I mean, we're talking about a billion dollar shadow network that is working to weaponize the first amendment, seeking to turn that protection of religious freedom enjoyed by us all into a weapon of supremacy and privilege for the few. And and that, that really is what they're trying to do. And, and this network of well-funded and activist groups, I call them crusaders in the book, together with, as you point out, people at the highest level of government, including conservative justices on the U.S. Supreme Court, have been waging this crusade to weaponize religious freedom. And, and it really is, Chris, I mean, it, this is a war of conquest. It, it's not, they're not trying to conquer land, but they're trying to conquer our constitution and remake it in their image. They're setting out to make America a Christian nation and warping religious freedom as an attempt to bring us all under their yoke, their rule. Right. Exactly. And I find that sort of thing all too realistic, unfortunately, from a historical perspective. Um, you know, there's nothing historically speaking or humanistically speaking that makes the United States of America any different from any number of other nations or government structures or or concepts of government in the past that makes us somehow immune to or shielded from (laughs) the possible takeover by tyranny, right? I mean, that's just, it can happen. And I don't want to feed conspiracy theories. So I'd like to know from you, you know, when you talk about this network, it's billion dollar thing, that, you know, this sort of shadow thing, this sets up, you know, language that is very generalized and very scary. Mm -hmm. So let's bring this down to brass tacks of, well, who are we talking about? What is this? Is this a a single group? Is this a monolithic structure? Are we talking about, you say, a network of groups? What, What does this look like? How many people are we talking about and how do they gather influence? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And this is, of course, something that I lay out extensively in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, I fully admit there are times where I feel like the guy, you know, the meme of the guy in the basement with the red string and, you know, the, 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 like, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, which is why I went to great pains in the book, not only to lay this out, but to also cite, cite everything. So people can go look this up on their own. So, um, it is not one group, but it is a, it is a one group of groups, I think we might say. Um, mm. So American Crusade lays out each of the individual groups behind the assault. And, and they might be names that people recognize, groups like Beckett Fund, Alliance Defending Freedom, Liberty Council, First Liberty Institute, Institute for Justice. And there are a lot of commonalities among these groups. Uh, usually the group was started by a white Christian man, often with early racist leanings and a professed homophobia. Quite a few including the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, the Family Research Council, and First Liberty Institute have ties to James Dobson, uh, who is a white Christian homophobe with early racist and eugenics leanings. Mm-hmm. Some of them were started with Koch brothers' uh, seed money. Uh, cash infusions from the DeVos empire are typical. And, you know, I mean, the network is shadowy and complex 
and vast, but it's also completely tied into our court system. And I think that is one thing that's really important that maybe a lot of people don't realize that, that our, our court system has actually been packed already. Mm. You know, we, we, we've heard a lot about court packing, but I, I mean, it, the, the Supreme Court's already been taken over. Um, so, you know, to, to give you an idea of if there is an umbrella sort of organization behind this, it, it is a, a guy named Leonard Leo who has a bunch of front organizations. And, and Leonard Leo is universally recognized as the man who orchestrated the hostile takeover of the Supreme Court. Ah, okay. So if there's some like player behind the scenes here, this is the guy. This is this is the guy. And, and so here, here's how a former employee described Leo's mission. Okay. Leo, quote, figured out 20 years ago that conservatives had lost the culture war. Abortion, gay rights, contraception. Conservatives didn't have a chance if public opinion prevailed. So they needed to stack the courts. All right. So, so that's what they did. They stacked the courts. And notice the anti-democratic admission and goal that are inherent in that quote, right? If they didn't stack the court, majority would rule. If they didn't stack the court, democracy would work. If, if they didn't stack the court, the people would get their way. Right. Uh, and so and we know that Leo's group spent about $540 million packing the court from 2014 to 2020. So that includes holding up Merrick Garland's confirmation uh, and, and all the way through Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, and then this and summer, we got the news that his group, Leo's group, raised $1.6 That is billion with a B in, in a single donation. That's more. That's $1 billion more than he spent capturing the court. Okay. So, so you'll learn all about that in American crusade. I lay all this out and there's actually uh, already an update to the book uh, that's available for free online for people who buy it. Um, and all this information will be in the next printing. But uh, one other thing I want to mention about Leo is that I, I mean it when I say he was responsible for packing the court, he, his role has been described like this quote, the monitor of the nominees ideological purity. Ah, right. and we're talking we're talking there about judicial nominees. OK, right. so the monitor of the nominees ideological purity. And we know that he is responsible for the confirmation of John, Chief Justice John Roberts, Justice Sam Alito, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. That is five votes on the Supreme Court that he is responsible for. And he personally chose them for their ideology a crusader ideology. And by the way, the sixth conservative vote on the court, Clarence Thomas, uh, he and Leo are old friends. All six, all six of these justices were members or are members of the Federalist Society. There's actually video of Thomas and Leo joking on stage at a Federalist Society event, talking about how Leo is the third most powerful man in America. You know, I think this, I think the video is from 2019 too. So it's not like it's oh, some old know, thing from yeah. the archives. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, <clears throat> Well, how, okay, so that's a bold claim, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm again, you're a friendly audience here. I'm definitely with you on this. No, because please I, be skeptical. Question, I, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you, we see these things roll out. We watch these confirmation hearings, and we shake our heads at the blatant lies that are told. Oh, no, I'm not going to touch Roe v. Wade. Oh, no, Roe v. Wade's settled. We're all good on that. And that's the first thing they attack, right? So you, So you know there's disingenuousness here. But how does a private citizen, because this Leo guy is not an elected official, yeah? No, no. He, I mean, he, he ran the Federalist Society and he had a couple front networks like the Judicial Crisis Network, which took in all this, this kind of this dark money. Like we, the $1.6 billion that we found out about in that single donation, we found that about through investigative journalism and essentially like their version of a leak, right? A lot of this stuff we can't track uh, right. in part. There's not a lot of transparency on this deliberately, deliberately. Well, how do they take this money? Cause we're talking about an awful lot of money and I get it. Mm -hmm. And we know money buys things like influence in DC, but mm -hmm. how do you take that much money and turn it into a Supreme court nominee on the bench? What Good has question. to happen there? So there are a couple different things. So one is they have created, using the Federalist Society, this, this vast network 
this this structure that is essentially uh, I, I think of it as like pipelines where they identify young conservative law students and groom them their entire career all the way up until they can put them on these higher and higher and maybe even eventually the highest court. Um, so so let, let me give you an example, okay? Because uh, you know, again, these these conservative justices that Leo put on the court were, were chosen for their ideology. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, I'll give you two examples. One, if you remember when Trump was running for office, he announced, I'll pick one of my Supreme Court justices from this list of, of candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, there actually ended up being three lists. Um, Leonard Leo wrote those lists. Okay. Yeah. So and we, we know that. So, and, and he knew who to choose because he has this infrastructure uh, with the Federalist Society where he's worked these people up their entire careers. Um, and you know, like, so here's, here's John Roberts, who is the chief justice of the Supreme court. Some people mistakenly think of him as a moderate. He is as conservative as they possibly come. Uh, John Roberts worked in the first Bush's Department of Justice alongside Ken Starr. Okay? He wrote briefs, John Roberts did, arguing that public schools can impose religion, Christianity, on children at graduation ceremonies, and that Christian Bible clubs can use public schools to organize. And then while in the Reagan White House, he supported a constitutional amendment that would have allowed public schools to impose Christian prayer on school children. And we have a legal memo that Roberts wrote saying this, quote, we still have an uphill battle to return prayer to schools. Right. Like we battle return prayer to schools, right? That is the language of a crusader. That is the ideological purity that Leo was looking for to put onto our Supreme Court. And he succeeded. All right. So like so many other destructive belief sets that result in awful things, this seems to come from uh, an intent to do good, an intent to enforce a will that is considered or thought to be naturally, inherently, and, you know, just as, as good as it could possibly be. God is on our side, the Bible, et cetera. You know, this is all naturally, of course, wonderfully good. Uh, maybe I should say unquestioningly good, unquestionably good. When you're in such a mindset, of course, your side is perfect and no other and any opposition is obviously completely ridiculous and nonsensical and shouldn't even be considered. And, and you're very righteous. Um, would you say that that's the attitude that these people are approaching this from? Because it seems a little culty. To me, oh, I, I mean, I think that, I think it's very righteous, um, okay. and I, I mean, there, there's, there isn't a feeling, right? I mean, think back to that first quote about Leonard Leo losing the culture war, right? Mm -hmm. If conserv conservatives didn't have a chance, if public opinion prevailed, so they needed to stack the courts, uh, right. and, and I mean. They're they're actively fighting against the will of the majority. They're trying to enshrine minority rule. And now, I mean, this is partly why you see you know the, the attacks on on democracy that we're seeing on on the Voting Rights Act and these cases about gerrymandering being brought and things like that. I, and, but there there certainly is this element of righteousness to it. Um, and if you go listen to uh, so, for instance, this summer. Justice Sam Alito gave a speech in Rome at a religious freedom summit. Uh, this is after he wrote the opinion that overturned Roe versus Wade and abolished our constitutional right to abortion. He sounds like a man who is on a crusade. He is on a holy war. I mean, he it's militant. It's unforgiving. And there's this element of how dare you, right? right. It's like, it's like I, I am not being given and my religious beliefs are not being given the deference to which I am accustomed. The power and privilege which I have had is slipping and I'm going to use my government power to enshrine it. And that really is go. what this crusade is about. Right. And, and I should say too, by the way, one more to one more thing to head off the guy with the red string in the basement aspect of this, the, the ploy to capture the courts worked. 
Uh, and we know this because we can run the numbers. And there have been a bunch of studies that have run the numbers um, on how often religion and religious freedom claims won at the court before it was packed and how often after. And so before it was packed, you know, religion won a little less than half the time, like around 45% thereabouts. Uh, but under Roberts, that win rate jumps to up to over 80%, right. to 81%. Right. And and, and the, here's the crucial, the crucial piece, the crucial piece, which really shows that this is a crusade to privilege conservative Christianity and to elevate that to a special favored class. This is not a pro-religion shift in a win rate. It's a pro-Christian shift. Right. So, so in the early courts, mainstream Christianity won in 44% of the cases. And under Roberts, that doubled. Uh, up to 85%. So, so religious freedom has become a weapon of Christian privilege. And and what I do in American crusade in the new book is I put a face on those numbers and all, on both sides, on the cases that the court got wrong um, to privilege religion and on the, ca- the cases that the court got wrong to not privilege uh, minority religions. Like if you look at the Muslim ban case and some of the recent death penalty cases, you can kind of see the flip side of this, that religion really is only for the select few, the conservative Christians. Yeah. And that's the part that has me most concerned. I, cause we're, cause I'm, cause this extremist mindset, this, this crusader mindset, as you, as you put it, I, I say extremism because what I mean by that is not radicalized terrorists. What I mean by that is a mindset that is no longer capable, and this is important, is no longer capable of critical thinking on this topic. That's that's where you've given over to the belief there's a flip that occurs. There's a line in the sand where you've crossed where you don't have to think anymore. You're right, period. And the thinking isn't happening. And... I'm very concerned about that when it comes to legislators and and judges, because those are the two jobs which require Mm -hmm. critical thinking in order to even be done. And if you put extremists and religious fanatics, which is kind of what we're describing here, into positions like that, then you really do only have one possible outcome, which is using the power and privilege of the job to enforce an extremist agenda. And that's what we see going on here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the, so one of the things that was crucial for me as I was writing the book was to, to answer that why question, right? Because like, I, I think, I think a lot of it doesn't make sense unless you can figure out why is this happening? Why are they on this crusade? Why are Christian nationalists seeking this weapon? I mean, there's you know, the short answer is, of course, they want power, but like, that's, you know, why? Right. Um, and really, and I think there's really good evidence for this too. I believe this is a backlash against equality realized. I agree. Tell me more. Yeah. So, I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, conservative white Christian Americans status as the dominant group in our society is threatened. Yeah. And it has been for some time, right? Like they're losing the quote culture wars, just like just this is what motivated Leo, right? Um, They're losing the privilege and deference to which they believe they are due. Alito's gloating speech in Rome. And, and when that happens, we, we know this is there's sociological data to back this up. When a dominant group or caste in a society feels threatened or left behind by circumstances, it reacts or overreacts really by seeking a way to retain that status. That's right. And, and this is why we are seeing them turn to Christian nationalism this is why we're seeing them turn to violent insurrection to these so-called strong men like Donald Trump. But it's also why we are seeing them work to weaponize religious freedom. It is a weapon to retain that status. And, and one of the really fascinating studies that I ran across when I was researching this was it was a 2021 survey. And it found uh, that if you survey a group of, of conservative Christians in America and you simply mention the changing religious demographics in America, right? That elicits a threat response. Yeah. And, and it triggers this defensive political stance among them. So, so s- simply acknowledging 
that the, for instance, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, right? The, the, those who check none on the religion boxes, simply acknowledging that the nuns are on the rise creates a feeling that their religious freedom was threatened. And it actually pushed them towards Christian nationalism and Donald Trump. So, I mean, the, the crucial part is that they conflate demographic loss with a threat to their freedom. And, and, and that means, right, that they fundamentally misunderstand religious liberty as privilege, that they believe freedom means enjoying the trappings of their dominant status. And, exactly. and so, the, the, yeah, so the crusade really is a quest to remake that that protection of religious freedom into a weapon for maintaining the dominant group's status. Bingo. I, I could not agree with you more on every line there. Um, and the resultant awful consequences of this are awful for everybody who's not they part are. of their in-group. You know, yes. that's really the bottom line is this is about privilege and power and and the threat to their status. Um, and this leads to quotes from your, from you, uh, which I hope now have been contextualized a little bit, but I'd like you to comment on this. Americans, you wrote, Americans must stop thinking of the United States Supreme Court as a court of law. It's a court bent on giving political whims the force of law and on converting America into a Christian nation. Would you care to elaborate on that? That is the crusade. I mean, that, that is what is happening. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer by training, right? Like this, my job has been, my career has been, my life has been to litigate these questions and decide them in front of what we hope are unbiased, impartial jurists who care about reaching the correct answer, who care about truth and justice. And whether or not we have ever had that at the Supreme Court is an open question, but we certainly do not have that now. Right. I mean, and we really, like, I mean, one of the, I think one of the biggest myths uh, that, that is that is influencing negatively our country at this moment is, is the myth of this Supreme Court as a defender of the downtrodden, as an impartial arbiter of truth and justice. And, and really the crusade that I write about depends on people believing this myth, mm. right? And, and Leonard Leo and Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, they cheated and stole and packed the courts to put their collaborators in place. And, and they didn't do that because those collaborators would administer justice even handedly. They did it because they wouldn't. Right. right? Otherwise, just if, if you look, want somebody who's going to be even handed and fair, just give Merrick Garland his hearing and put him on the court. It's not about that. It's about getting to the end result. And, and the second part is not only have our courts already been packed by these crusaders. Historically, our Supreme Court is an incredibly conservative and regressive body. Mm. You, know, you know, we often think of it as, think of the Supreme Court as, as the Warren Court, right? The, the, the court that gave us Brown versus Board of Education, uh, that gave us Loving versus Virginia, which struck down a ban on interracial marriage. Uh, the court that gave us Gideon versus Wainwright, which says that if you are accused of a crime, you have a right to counsel. Um, you know, you have a right to an attorney by you, like all these really good decisions that actually validate and lift up our civil rights. Uh, but that, that era is, is an outlier. That is not the Supreme court that we have had. So people really need to unshackle their minds from this myth, because this is the court of Plessy versus Ferguson and separate is equal of, of Dred Scott and fugitive slave laws of trying to suffocate the new deal in the cradle of gutting the power of the 14th amendment one with the blood of so many Americans during a civil war. It's the court of Japanese internment camps and of Muslim bans and of billionaires and corporations and political gerrymandering and vote suppression and of abolishing abortion and reproductive freedom in the name of their narrow religious doctrines. That mm. is what our court really is. And that is a grim picture and a grim reality that we are now facing. And I would rather live, I've, I've said this so many times, 
you know, I would rather live with an uncomfortable truth than a pleasing lie, which is why mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy to, you know, broadcast this message and get this out there because people need to know about this stuff. Um, and they need to do something about it. Now, I think we've painted a picture here that is, like I said, kind of kind of realistic, kind of grim, and kind of kind of like awful. It's a little grim. It is a little grim, but you know, it is what it is. You can't deal with it until you know what the problem is. Um, I see here, and you let me know what you think. I, you know, I've watched documentaries like Alex Gibney produced, you know, The Family, where mm-hmm. we, you know, the National Prayer Breakfast. My concerns about <clears throat> that come from, you know, Jeff Charlotte's book and. And, and documentaries around that. And the fact that there is this deep, deep layers of religious influence that permeate all of Washington, D.C. And this, you know, even this idea of, you know, electing an atheist in 2022 to even a congressional position is still a controversial thing. Now, even now. Uh, and yet we claim freedom of belief, freedom of thought, and we really don't practice it that as hard as we preach it. Uh, so I'm concerned about the infiltration of this kind of thinking and these kind of extremist ideas into our Congress as well as into our Supreme Court. Your whole effort here is sure. to talk, talk about the Supreme Court. Uh, but I bring this other arm of government up, this other, you know, we only got three of them, <laughs> three branches, and two of them seem to be rather compromised right now in this regard. Mm-hmm. And I, like I mentioned, good luck, you know, uh, electing somebody who's not a Christian to the president, uh, the office of the president. What's your take on that? Do you think that that is um, also a problem, the, the congressional compromise or the, the other religious influence problems in our government? Or do you think that the main focus should be on the Supreme Court? I, I do think it's a problem. Um, I, I think it. I think it can be overcome. Like, so remember, remember why we're, we're seeing this crusade in the first place. And it's because they are raging against the dying of their privilege. Mm-hmm. They, 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 the demographics, if nothing else are, are heavily stacked against them. They are looking for ways to enshrine minority rule. Now they can do some of that in Congress. That's why, again, there's the push for partisan gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. That's the why there's the push for racial gerrymandering. That's why they've brought many cases in the last decade and three, at least, um, that are going to, and won this term where the Supreme court has gutted the voting rights act, which is truly one of the, the great achievements in American democracy. It, th- those are attempts to continue to corrupt the congressional branch for minority rule. But again, the reason that they chose to focus, the reason that Leo's mission was, we've lost the culture war, we have to stack the courts, is because you have lifetime tenure there. Right. And because and because the, the, the courts can then turn around and help. The reason that partisan gerrymandering and racial gerrymandering and the Voting Rights Act and all that stuff is happening is because they captured the Supreme Court. They put their collaborators in place there first. And then they were able to do all this extra stuff in Congress. So I, I, I am more concerned with the Supreme Court, and I am more concerned with fixing that, it, really our entire federal judiciary, than I am with uh, fixing some of the congressional stuff. Because here's what you could do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could if, uh, fix the Supreme Court. Let's say you expand the Supreme Court. Let's, let's say there's all of a sudden there's 10 new justices on there. It is completely rebalanced. It is not stuck in this conservative Christian nationalist ideologue agenda any longer. Um, From there, you then have an open horizon because what right now, every single fix that we want for any progressive issue from climate change to abortion rights to, I mean, you name it, that is going to go at some point through the U S Supreme court. Right. So, no, so no matter what we do in Congress to fix the ills and to progress our country, to have a progressive solution, literally, it, that is going to go through the Supreme Court, which is, again, one of the more most regressive conservative bodies out there generally. And this one in particular has been packed with people who are put there to do exactly that. So, so for me, it is the problem. If you could fix the Supreme Court, you could pass de- democratic, small d democratic reform the next day. 
And I mean, you could, you know, you could add states, D.C., Puerto Rico, you could re-up the Voting Rights Act, you could pass a new Voting Rights Act, you could outlaw partisan gerrymandering and racial, like, there's a million different things you could do that would then help fix the problems that you just identified in Congress um, that would make our country more small d democratic, right? And, mm. and less, less, um, remove a lot of those structural impediments to true majority, majoritarian rule. Fair enough. Fair enough. And of course, the short term, at least in the House, not necessarily the Senate. Once you get in the Senate, it seems like you, you, you know, you're going to, you're, you're pretty secure and you're going to die there. Uh, as far as, you know, the incumbent staying in office, i.e., you know, a la Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so it's not necessarily the case that, well, they'll just be in and out so quickly. It won't be a problem, but the lifetime appointment part of the Supreme court is certainly troublesome as well as of course the entire judiciary, they get, they get in their job and they're there. Mm-hmm. So I see your point there. So looking at, you know, sort of turning to the, okay, well, if this is the problem and it's a big one, and as you've mm-hmm. outlined it here, then what do we do about it? Because it seems that, well, do we have a, uh, an anti Leonard Leo? Do we have a, um, do we have money coming from some, you know, is Bill Gates going to outbuy this? Like, what do we do to deal with this? Cause this is a big, big problem. And it, and it clearly affects every single American directly. This is not an indirect kind of thing. No, it's really not. Um, I, so I do get into several concrete solutions in the book. I mean, there's a few things I want to say about this. Yeah. First, none of the solutions are quick or easy. Mm-hmm. Right, the, the Crusaders played the long game. They captured the highest court in the land. Those justices are drunk with power right now. We have to expect a long fight to win and to heal the damage that they're causing. Right. Um, I, I also really do believe that myth that we talked about, the myth that the judicial system is going to fix this for us. Um, we, we have to shatter that too. Um, okay. I, if, if that may be the closest thing that our side has to a silver bullet. And above all, we have to organize and message in ways that build power. Um, that's what I try to do in American crusade. That's what Americans United for separation of church does every single day, including trying to build some of these pipelines and this infrastructure to get, uh, progressive people ready to assume leadership positions all over the government. That's something that we're working really hard on right now at Americans United. You know, we've been fighting this fight for 75 years. We're going to do it for the next 75 years. Uh, so I'd encourage everybody to go donate there. Um, the other, the other things besides joining AU, which I really, again, would hope everybody would do and buying the book, which I would hope everybody would do, um, is I just want to caution everybody with this. Um, voting is literally the least you can do, right? Okay. It's super important. And yet you should definitely do it, but it is literally the least you can do. Do not expect to vote and then fi- have that fix things. It, 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 that is not the way our system works. Uh, you voting, you know, Stacey Abrams likes to say that voting is medicine, not magic, right? At best, voting gives us the chance to make a change. Right. And if you care about where this is going, you have got to do more. You, you just, you have got to do more. Uh, Bayard Rustin said, uh, he's a great civil rights activist, free thinker, said that uh, the proof that one truly believes is in action. Right. And, and voting is just not enough of an action. You've got to get out there and do more. I'd encourage everybody um, listening to really uh, take some time to volunteer before the midterms. I mean, the, volunteering for an hour has an infinitely, literally an infinitely larger impact than posting memes on social media or commenting on the latest poll on social media. Right. Uh, just go to vote, go to votesaveamerica.org and volunteer for an election. You can phone bank for an election in Texas or in Wisconsin or uh, North Carolina, right? You know, even if you're in a, you know, a state that is rock solid one direction or the other, you can make a difference in some of the other states. Uh, so go get active um, and do more, but also vote. Big time. Well, let me let me uh, let me highlight, underline, reinforce, boldface. You know, italicize this business about voting because, as you mentioned, it's it's the very least you can do. And yet, 
according to what I read, every election cycle, 50% of Americans don't even bother to do that. So I do want to pump that message very, very hard. It is the least you can do. And frankly, I'm going to, you know, be slightly antagonistic here in saying, uh, I, you know, that your argument about how you are presented with two evil choices and you got no choices and it doesn't matter anyway and the corporations are going to win anyway and the government isn't on your side anyway and look at the big problems anyway, you know, uh, no, no, I don't agree with any of it. If you don't use your voice, you might as well not have one. And I don't really see a whole lot of point in listening to what you have to say if you can't be bothered to get off your ass and go actually use your voice when it matters, when we vote. And, you know, just to add to that, yeah. as a constitutional attorney who's been doing this for a long time, they are so desperate to take your vote away. Yes. So dead. I mean, yes. think of just the cases that I named already. <laughs> they, they are most of their time and energy is spent trying to take your vote away. Right. And they are not doing that because your vote doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. They know. See, and, and it's and as we talked about here, the entire crux of this problem is a recognition on the part of a Christian minority of extremists that they don't hold all the power yeah, and that yeah. they want to hold all the power, but they know they don't have everybody on their side. But here's the trick. If they can drive you into apathy, if they can make you think your voice is powerless, they win. Yep. They don't you know, have to have you vote for them. If you're not voting at all, it's the same thing as far as they're concerned. They yep. win. And you're so right. And this brings us full circle because, you know, I, I talk about the in the American crusade. I talk about the roots of this crusade, uh, which go back to the religious right and the moral majority. And this guy named Paul Weyrich, who founded the Heritage Foundation, all these all these right wing groups that have contributed to the crusade. And Weyrich gives this speech and it's in it. He says, I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by the majority of the people. They never have been from the beginning of the country. And they're not now, as a matter of fact, our leverage in election quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down and the hour in our leverage there. And this, this is an infamous quote. You've probably heard it was Christians. Yes. He's, he's talking about Christians. He said, he says, now many of our Christians have what I call goo goo syndrome, good government syndrome. They wanted everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. That's how he begins that. Again, he formed the moral majority uh, with conservative preacher Jerry Falwell. They are the ones who chose to make abortion the wedge issue for American politics. They founded ALEC. They founded the Heritage Foundation, or excuse me, Wayrick did. And, and I mean, that speech was given to laymen and several thousand lay preachers from 41 states. I mean, this was a two-day gathering, um, Bible-thumping, revivalist. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly was there, Tim LaHaye, Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, Ronald Reagan. I mean, this is, it was hosted by the Religious Roundtable. I mean, this is like the beginning of the modern Christian nationalist movement in America. And it began with, I don't want everybody to vote because then Christians' power goes down. Exactly. Exactly. So the point here, of course, being they know they're not on the side of the majority. They don't care. When it comes to a choice between their belief and democracy, it's their belief 100% of the time. That's where yep. they'll go. That's why this is undemocratic. It has nothing to do with the rightness or wrongness of God or the Bible, or whether Jesus lived, or any of that. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the use and distribution of power. And I really want to get that across to people with this. You know, it yeah. is, it's not about the rightness or wrongness of your religion. It's about whether we're going to have a democracy or not. It is. It's that important. It is. So, Andy, thank you very much for coming onto my show and sharing this message with us. 
I've asked you a bunch of questions, but are there important ones that I missed? Is there something other, is there some other part of this that we should be talking about before we wrap up? Well, it's all in the book. I would really appreciate it if people would go pick up a copy. My publisher hates when I say it, but I don't care if you buy it. I just want you to read it. Um, you know, if you go ask your public library to pick up a copy, if they haven't, that's a great way to support any author that you care about. Uh, I'll also say, look, it, you know, the holidays are coming up um, and this book makes a great gift for the conservatives in your life or, or for the liberals for that matter too. You know, and I, uh, I, I'm offering signed copies through one of the coolest local bookstores in the country right here in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, so if you go to bit.ly dot signed AC or slash signed AC, uh, which is bit dot L Y slash signed and then AC like American crusade, you can order a signed copy, uh, of the book, uh, for like the next two or three weeks, we're still going to be running that, that as an option. And those make just pretty cool presents. Uh, I'll personalize it for whoever you want to get it for, you know, for Chris, keep up the good fight, Andrew. It's a, it's a really great way to gift somebody, both an idea and, uh, you know, a solution for the country's ills. Beautiful. <laughs> okay, folks. So check out the book. It's called American crusade. Get it, read it, spread it. Okay. And more importantly, most importantly, you know, spread it, get the word out there. This doesn't work if we're not talking to each other and if we're not getting this information out there, right? That's the only way that this kind of stuff works. And the truth is that the numbers actually are on the side of democracy and freedom and civil rights. They really are. They are. Most they people want are. that. This is not a majority of the country that wants this. This is a minority of people who have extremist beliefs. Got to get, got to be clear about that, right? It's not about the Christians versus everybody else. This isn't even all the Christians by a long shot. I know there are tons of Christians who watch my show there are. who believe everything we're talking about, believe in what we're talking about, Absolutely. who don't want this. You know, that you guys actually, if there's anybody I'm really appealing to, it's you guys, because you're the ones who can actually talk to your friends and family and they'll listen to you. They won't listen to me. <laughs> you know? So, so we all play our parts in this, you know, Absolutely. so let's, so let's get this information and let's spread it out there. Andy, thank you very much again for coming on my show and, and taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. All right, folks. Uh, and of course, with all of the support and everything, uh, I will also put a plug in for the channel. This is entirely fan funded and, uh, I appreciate your support out there to keep this show going. Thanks folks. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.